Friends, God is at work in your life, making you more like Jesus. Through your faith in the life and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus, God is at work in you, transforming your inner character so that more and more and day by day, your inner character is like the character of Jesus. Jesus was the wisest man who ever lived. He always knew the right word to say at just the right time. He always knew what action to take. He knew how to do things that no one has ever since known how to do, like he knew how to take water and to turn it into wine. He knew how to give blind people their sight. He knew how to make lame people walk. He was able to teach people in ways that met them right where they were. His teaching brought healing to hearts that were broken, and he broke cold and calloused hearts. In the desert, when he was tempted by Satan, he was able to discern what was right from wrong. And even when Satan quoted God's word to him and says, didn't God's word say this, Jesus, why don't you act in this way? He was able to discern the lies that were underneath that and was able to stand on the day of temptation. Jesus is the wisest person who has ever lived. And the work of the Holy Spirit in your life now is to begin to form that wise character of Jesus in you. So that as you grow up in Christ, that you would be a person who can speak the right word at the right time and in the right way. That you would be a person, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, who has particular gifts and skills to bring to the task of the church and building up the life of the church. And also that you would be a person that in a moment of trial or temptation would see the right way and to know what to do, to know and to walk in the way that is right and good and true. This is all part of the work that God wants to do in you. He wants to make you wise in the ways that Jesus was wise. Over the next month, during the month of October, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a book in Scripture that tells us how to live a wise life. So turn to me, with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And would you also now join me in prayer as we look at God's Word. Our God in heaven, we do thank you for your word that instructs us in the ways of wise living. We thank you for the example of your son who showed us in his life the way to live a wise life. And we pray now, this day and in the coming month and in the weeks and years ahead of our lives, that you would make us more and more and day by day into people of wise character a people more and more like your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are, are four books in the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon, which are all called the wisdom literature of the scriptures. 
And if you have read them, you will know that they are very unique in all of the Old Testament and all of the Bible. They, they read very differently than all of the other books that we, that we read in the Bible. Uh, a while back ago, we had this year-long sermon series, if you remember, called The Bible in God's Mission. Do you remember that? And in that series, we, we walked from Genesis to Revelation, tracing the themes of God's historical work in the life of the world to bring his redemption and his salvation. And you remember, we, we had up on the screens a timeline of this work that God is doing in the world. When we read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job and Song of Solomon, we come to something different. We actually come to literature that's, that's actually outside of that timeline. It was certainly written within that timeline, but they stand outside of that timeline. In these books, we have almost no references to God's relationship to Israel or God's relationship to the nations of the world or about God's eternal plan of salvation in the world. Instead, these four books that speak about everyday issues and about universal questions that every human being faces and that every human being asks. The book of Proverbs is mostly made up of very short and clever and pithy statements about everyday life, about money and about relationships and about time and about the way that we use our words and about our sexuality. The book of Ecclesiastes is is a book of philosophy that wrestles with this human experience that we have of feeling as if life is meaningless in the ways that that can lead us into despair. The book of Job wrestles with the universal question of suffering and the reality of evil in our world. Why do good people suffer? That is a question that Job wrestles with. And then the Song of Solomon is is a love poem that at face value is a series of poems written between lovers. And it doesn't get much more universal than that, right? So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon are instructions to us, are wisdom about how the world works and how, as we as human beings, should view the world and how we should live in it. And as we read these books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon, sometimes we get very clear answers to the questions that we have about life. Especially the book of Proverbs tells us many things about how we're to spend our time and our money and tells us about the importance of hard work and about sexual integrity and warns us when we go outside the, what happens if we go outside of the boundaries of God's design for these things. So sometimes when we read the wisdom literature, uh, we get very clear answers to the questions about how we're called to live. But other times in the wisdom literature, it doesn't so much give us all of the right answers, but helps us to ask the right questions. The book of Job, as I said, wrestles with this eternal question of suffering and evil. Why do good people suffer? Why is there suffering in the world at all? These are questions that all of us have and that every culture and every human being has wrestled with. Well, Job doesn't give a clear answer to that question. But it does help us ask the right questions about suffering. It frames our understanding about what suffering is, and it teaches us about our human frailty and about the limits of our own human knowledge and the limits of our own human understanding. And it tells us that God is all-knowing and that he is all-powerful and that what he does, he knows what he is doing, even when from our perspective it doesn't make sense. 
So sometimes the wisdom literature doesn't give us all the answers so much as it helps us ask the right question. So, in the next few months, we're going to be looking at a couple of these books. Uh, Over October, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. And then in January, we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, perhaps later in the year, we might get to Job or Song of Solomon. But for now, um, during October, we'll be looking at Proverbs. And then at the beginning of the year, we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes. And I would encourage you, over this month here during October, I would encourage you, challenge you to read the book of Proverbs. It's 31 chapters, so that works out quite well. And if you read about a chapter a day, you will be finished by the time uh, we finish here in October. And I would also ask that in addition to reading Proverbs during this month, that you would pray that God would make you wise that he would give you the wisdom of Christ. Will you do that with me? Okay. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This morning, uh, I'm going to give just a bit of an introduction to the book of Proverbs and help you know best how to read it and how best to understand it. And uh, over the next few weeks, then, we're going to be taking out some themes of the book of Proverbs and exploring what, um, what Proverbs says about certain um, things that we experience in our own life. So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, For doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. The book of Proverbs is connected to King Solomon. If you remember in Solomon's life, early on in his uh, time as king, God asked him for anything in the world. Ask me, Solomon, and I will give it to you. And do you remember what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom, and God granted it to him. And we learn in those early books of the book of Kings that, that Solomon was the wisest man in the world at that time, and that people from all over the world came to learn from him. And we, and we hear that, that Solomon actually compiled all of this information and this wisdom from the different people that he was learning from and from his own observations of creation. And he had uh, uh, scrolls that talked about plants and animals and about creation. And Solomon is, is the fountainhead of the, lit, of the wisdom literature in the Bible. Even the parts of Proverbs that Solomon didn't write, towards the end of the book, there's a couple parts of it that are written by different people. And even these parts, Solomon compiled them together into this book called Proverbs. And so uh, Solomon was the first scientist and the first philosopher of Israel, and others followed in his path and, and learned from and built on what he taught. And throughout the, the book of Proverbs, the main topic is this Hebrew word, chokmah. Chokmah. And chokmah is the Hebrew word that is most often translated as wisdom in English. Chokmah. Now, usually when we think of the word wisdom, we think of something like knowledge, like head knowledge, knowing different things. But the concept of chokmah is much bigger than that. 
In the verses that we just read, there are some other words that are used to describe the kind of wisdom that the book of Proverbs is trying to teach us. It talks about discipline and understanding and prudence and discernment and guidance and discretion. All of these words are used throughout the book of Proverbs as synonyms to this idea of hokmah. All of these words are used to help us understand the different shades of meaning behind this word, hokmah. Wisdom certainly has to do with mental knowledge, about knowing lots of information, but there's also other dimensions to it as well. Uh, First, there's a physical dimension. Uh, Hokmah is not only about people who know things, but also about people who know how to do things. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, artists and skilled craftsmen are are people who are said to have hokmah. So it's not simply knowing things that makes you wise, but able to apply that knowledge and and to do things with that knowledge. Hokmah also has a, a moral dimension as well. Wisdom is knowing what is right and then being able to put what is right into practice. A person who possesses hokmah is a person who knows God and who knows God's ways and who is then able to put those things into practice. Something else to note about this Hebrew word hokmah is that hokmah is an attribute of God. God is the source of hokmah, and God gives hokmah to people, and God used hokmah to create the world. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Solomon writes, By wisdom, that is by hokmah, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. God used hokmah, wisdom, in order to create the world. And because God used hokmah to create the world, the concepts and truths of hokmah can be found in the world that we live in wherever we go. God created the world in such a way that his wisdom is woven into the world so that the principles of wisdom are seen and experienced in our lives and in the lives of those around us, those who are believers and those who are not. Uh, When a woodworker begins to do work on a piece of wood, uh, they are trained to cut and to trim and to sand the wood with the grain. And I should have asked John Slick or or John to come up and explain this better. They can explain it better, but I'll do my best. Uh, The wood uh, was made in such a way that it could be cut more easily and, and, and shaped more easily if it's cut with the grain of the wood. And if the wood is cut against the grain, then it's more difficult. And not only is it more difficult, but it causes splinters and splits in the wood, and the woodworker is not able to do the work that he wants to do with the wood if he cuts it against the grain of the wood. When we live according to the words of Proverbs, we are living with the grain of the world. Because God has woven his own hokmah, his own wisdom into his creation so that when we live according to his wisdom, life will, in general, go better for us. So, for example, the book of Proverbs tells us that if a person doesn't work, then a person doesn't eat. 
That's simply part of the way that God has designed his world. Part of God's chokmah is that work and labor are good things and that our work and our labor are connected to our own physical well-being. So the person who is willing to work and who puts his hands to good work is living with the grain of God's world and will find, believer or non-believer, will find most of the time that his belly is full. But a person who chooses not to work are living against the grain of the world and will find that often they are hungry. So chokmah is God's wisdom, and his wisdom is woven into his creation so that when we live according to it, we are living with the grain of his world. Does that make sense? Living in such a way so that for the most part, things will go better with us. But there's a lot to say in that for the most part, isn't it? And this is really important as we think about how to read the book of Proverbs. And so I want to give you a bit of a framework to understand the book of Proverbs. God's chokmah, his wisdom is woven into the world. And because of that, if we live according to the wisdom given to us in the book of Proverbs and in the scriptures, things usually will go well for you, but not always. So when you read Proverbs, you need to remember this. The Proverbs are principles about life. Principles about how to live a good life. They are not promises. Let me give you two examples from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. We know from our own experience that sometimes a godly person, someone who fears the Lord, has their life cut short. They die early. And we also know some pretty wicked old people as well, don't we? (laughs) But we also know that it's true. That those who fear the Lord, and in the language of Proverbs, those who are sober people, those who are cool-tempered, those who are diligent and who work hard, are the kinds of people who do experience health in their life. While those who are drunkards and hot-tempered and lazy are often people who have difficulty in life and whose lives are cut short for one reason or another. Proverbs 10.27 is a principle about the way that the world generally works. It is not a promise. And when we make it into a promise, we can get into all sorts of wrong ways of thinking when we encounter a godly person who dies at 20 and we encounter a wicked person who's 103. Here's another example. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. We know from our experience, do we not, that there are godly parents who pray for their kids every day, who raise them up in the church, who teach their kids the way of Christ, and when that child grows up, they do depart from it. There are examples of children who simply make their own decisions and go their own way. But we also know, don't we, that in general... Those children who grow up in a godly home, 
who are taught the ways of Christ, who begin their life as children on a firm foundation on the truths of Scripture and on the gospel, that those children are far more likely to grow up knowing and loving God than the children who doesn't have that foundation, right? So do you see the problem if we read the Proverbs as if they were promises rather than principles that God has given to us, telling us about how the, uh, the world generally works? Do you see that? So the Proverbs are general principles at life, about life, but we should not read them as promises. Gets us into problems if we do that. And this is why, by the way, that the Bible does not just give us Proverbs, but also gives us the book of Job and Ecclesiastes as well, because they fill in what Proverbs leaves out. Proverbs tells us how things generally go in the world, but there are exceptions to these principles, lots of them. And all of us experience those exceptions. And so the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes are there in Scripture to help us understand this tension in this world that we live in. The second thing is that the Proverbs are understood as principles rather than as commandments. The kind of teaching that we receive in Proverbs is different than the kind of teaching we see in the law or in like the Ten Commandments. The thou shall not do this or thou shall do that. Proverbs doesn't really give us that kind of teaching. It gives us principles at life that teach us that if we live in these ways, that God has designed the world in such a way that we are living with the grain of his world and that things will generally go well with us. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 through 5 for an example for you. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him himself. Verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay. If we take these as commandments, we have a direct contradiction in the way that we should respond to a fool. One says, don't answer him or you're going to become like him. The other one says, answer him or he's going to stay in his foolishness. Proverbs tells us here that there are different circumstances and times for different responses in our world. The circumstances that we find ourselves in require discernment and wisdom. It takes wisdom to know Proverbs and to learn it and to apply it to our lives. A wise person is one who knows which response to give to a fool at the right time. So what is Proverbs for? Proverbs is not a list of do's or do nots that we can check off each day. Proverbs is not a big book of promises. Instead, the book of Proverbs is a curriculum for a wise life. If we commit ourselves to the teaching of the book of Proverbs, we are soaking up the chokmah of God. We learn how to live with the grain of God's world. When we read and study and meditate on the words of Proverbs, we begin to recognize the chokmah of God everywhere we go and in everything that we do. We're able to see foolishness when it's right in front of us. 
When we are faced with two possible decisions, we begin to see the wisdom of one and the foolishness of the other. When we meditate on the Proverbs, we become wise people who act in ways that are right and just and fair. And we commit ourselves to learning the book of Proverbs. We are seeking to become wise like Jesus is wise, to become people who know what to do at the right time and who are people who are able to do it. And that's the goal of Proverbs. Finally, there is this important concept in Proverbs that uh, peaks up quite a few times, and it's this idea of the fear of the Lord. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to become a wise person, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. One commentator that I was reading this past week, uh, Bruce Waltke, said something that struck me and helped me really understand this, this phrase a lot better. He said, if you want to know what a butterfly is, you don't study butter and then a fly, and then put those two things together and understand what a butterfly is. In the same way, we can't think about fear and how we generally experience fear in our lives and then think about God and what we know about who God is and somehow put them together and think that those two things are the same thing. The fear of the Lord is a unique thing in and of itself. The fear of the Lord is all of one piece. We do not fear the Lord in the same way that we fear anything or anyone else. We have all sorts of fears in our lives, don't we? But the way that we fear the Lord is different than the way that we fear anything or anyone else. The fear of the Lord is unique. First thing I want to say about the fear of the Lord is that it is the fear of the Lord, Yahweh. If you look in your English Bibles, for those of you who, who may not be aware of this, sometimes uh, in the Old Testament, the word Lord has four capitals. And you see here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is all in capitals. When that's the case, it's a translation of the personal name Yahweh. When you see the word Lord translated capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it is a translation usually of the word Elohim, which is the generic name for God or the gods. And sometimes the God of Israel is called Elohim. But Lord, Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is a translation of the personal name of God. And so what Solomon is saying to his people, to Israel and to us, is that when we fear the Lord, we are fearing Yahweh, the God who led Israel out of Egypt, the God who made covenants with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and later with David, the God who has shown himself over time, over and over again, that he loves them and that he cares for them and that he can be trusted. It is Yahweh, this personal God, the one that has revealed himself to his people it is that God that they should fear. It's not a distant and far-off deity that we don't know what he is like. It's not an angry deity that flies off the handle. 
He is Yahweh, the one who heard the cries of his people in Egypt and came down to rescue them. It's this Yahweh that we are to fear. The one that has shown himself and revealed himself to us. And the fear of the Lord is the appropriate sense of awe and reverence to this one that in his mercy and grace has revealed himself to us. We know who he is. He has shown us who he is in his love and in his power and in his uh, might and in his wrath against sin. And so we must fear the Lord. He is the holy and the uncreated one, the one who is and who was and who forever will be, the I am. And so we must fear the Lord. I want to say that an important part of this fear of the Lord is simply to admit that we are not him. (laughs) There's a holy and uncreated and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving God who knows how he created the world and who knows the best way to live in it. And it may sound a bit obvious that our first step is admitting that we're not the Lord, but we're certainly living in a time, are we not, where we are told in many different ways that you are the primary being that can choose for yourself the best way to live. That you have enough knowledge, (laughs) that you are able to determine for yourself what the best course is for your life, that is foolish. The fear of the Lord is an appropriate humility before God, a proper estimation of who we are as frail human beings in the presence of the Almighty God. We are not all knowing. We need to admit that we do not always know how we should live our lives or what we should do. We need to admit that there are limits to our own knowledge and our own understanding and our own abilities. And we need to kneel before God and say, I do not know what is best for me, but I trust that you do. That you are Yahweh, that you have revealed yourself to us, and that you are the source and the goal of Hokmah. And I submit my frail and my limited life and mind to you and ask that you would make me a person of Hokemah. That you would make me a wise person. That my life would be a life that reflects your wisdom and your understanding and your ways in the world. Make me a wise person, not a foolish person. Not a person who goes against the grain of your world, but a person who is in line with how you have designed your world so that things may go well with me, so that I may be a blessing to my family and to my church and to my neighbors and not a curse to them. Not one who brings splinters and difficulty and division to those around me, but one who lives my life according to the grain of your world. God is at work in your life to make you a wise person. And friends, the world desperately needs communities of wise people right now. In the book of Proverbs, there is the way of the wise and there is the way of fools. The wise live their lives in such a particular way that they bring blessing to themselves, they bring blessing to their families, they bring blessing to their communities. And then there are the ways of the fools who live in such a way that bring hardship and pain and suffering on themselves and on their communities. And we live in a culture that more and more is going the way of the fool. 
The ways that the world thinks about money and sex and time and the way that we should use our words, all of it goes against the grain of God's world. And we see the devastation and hardship that come from a world that goes against the grain of what God has planned for us. It's the way of the fool and it produces difficulty and it produces splinters and division. Next month... Our country is going to choose between two people who have lived their lives according to the way of the fool, in the words of Proverbs. And the world needs now an example of local communities of people who live wise lives. This is an opportunity for the church to shine brightly when it comes to the ways that we live and the ways that we use our money and our time, the ways that we build up our children in such a way that those children become a blessing to the community. We need to seek to be a community that refuses to go the way of the fool, but seeks to live a life with the grain of the world that God has made. There's an opportunity for us as a community of people to live wise lives, to show the world the way that life was meant to live as a community of people. This is an opportunity for us in this season, in our world, in our country, uh, for the church to live according to the principles of wisdom that God has given to us. So will you join me now in asking that God would help us to be these kinds of people in this kind of community. Father in heaven, we need your help. We need your help. We do not have hokmah within us. You are the source of all wisdom and all understanding and all discernment and all knowledge. So God, we ask that you would fill us with your wisdom. God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to study and reflection on on Proverbs and other parts of Scripture which tell us what it means to live a life that is honoring to you and a life that brings blessing to our families and to our communities. Lord, we ask that you would make us wise people who shine brightly in our world, that we would be distinct and different from the people around us so that they may see, ah, that is, that is a wise way to live. They would be drawn to it as they see your wisdom reflected in our lives. Lord, I ask that by your spirit that you would make us this kind of people and that here Broadway that you would make us that kind of community. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.